while the overall economy in the U.S. is doing quite well, what's happened is fewer and fewer people are participating in the future. Welcome to Reality Check, a weekly podcast about anything and everything having to do with education. I'm Jeannie Allen, founder and CEO of the Center for Education Reform. We chose the name Reality Check because a lot of what you read about education these days is often wrong or misleading. If you want to know what's really going on in American education, from K through career, you're going to need a reality check. I am so pleased today to welcome Michael Moe to the Reality Check podcast, not only because he is probably the foremost innovator thought leader in education, technology, and really the knowledge universe, but because he's also a dear friend and a member of CER's board of directors, in fact, our vice chair. Michael is the founder of GSV, a modern merchant bank that invests, advises, and partners with the fastest growing, most dynamic companies in the world, the stars of tomorrow, as they like to call them, and a co-founder of the ASU GSV Summit, which brings together thousands of amazingly active, energetic people to do together in uh, in a couple of days um, what most people spend a lifetime trying to do, and that is to make uh, the future possible for for all people through all the various ways um, that technology and education work. So, Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, gee, it's my pleasure. So you are this preeminent authority, and I could brag on you all day, and you've been advisor to so many people. You've authored things like Finding the Next Starbucks. What is, like, the biggest thing that we need to be thinking about as we enter 2020? Um, to make the future possible, as you like to say, for all people? Well, I think when you look at the landscape of society today, um, it's unquestionably um, the most um, volatile and, I think, angry um, time of, of, my, of, of my life. And I think, you know, there's a lot of reasons that people are upset or concerned about the future, but I think when you look at the economic data, you know, while, while the overall economy in the U.S. is doing um, quite well, what's happened is fewer and fewer people are participating in the future. And I think in a democracy where 50.1% wins, if we can't figure a way for more people to have the type of uh, opportunity you know, in the future that um, they, they feel is important, important for them, and we're in trouble. So we've got we to solve that issue. We've got to figure out how we give people um, the knowledge, the skills, the connectivity, so they can thrive and their children can thrive. And it's, but when you look at the data, um, it's, it's, it's very, very concerning. It's very clear that if we don't do something about it, dramatic things could happen. And you were talking about this way back even uh, as far and before in 1996 when you wrote that paper called The Dawn of the Age of Knowledge. And you recently told Ed Surge, the magazine, that that was really a thesis about what you felt was going on in the growth economy and that your education, your knowledge makes all the difference. And here we are almost at 2020, and we still do have so few comparably people who are excelling, graduating, and going on to really what they want as their dream in the future. What is standing in our way? Well, I think there's a variety of issues. Some of it is the system itself. Um, the system 
Um, and I think they're increasingly young people in particular feel like the system is rigged against them. And you know what? They're right. Um, you know, you first you start with this. If we are in the, you know, clearly we're in a knowledge economy, and what your education level is and what your skills are um, does determine what your future is. Sixty-five percent of all the jobs that exist uh, that are being created require a college degree. Of just 32 percent of the U.S. adult population has a college degree. But then you go in some of the most disadvantaged um, communities of of our system of our, of our of our country, and you know the, the fact of the matter is, getting out of high school is a minor miracle. Let alone go to college. You look at the bottom quartile household family incomes in the United States. There's less than a 10 percent probability of graduating from any college. So, I mean, there's just a number of different kind of structural changes that need to take place. Um, there needs to be mindset that needs to, to to change. I think a lot of people, particularly the people of the privileged class, look and say, "Gosh, well, worked out okay for me and my kids." Unfortunately, um, that's not it's not happening for uh, the majority of citizens, and it's getting worse. You know, one of the things that you have uh, shown me. Uh, and taught me and I've learned as I've watched uh, all of the different groups and companies and individuals that you've highlighted and worked with over the years is that there are just, it looks like maybe thousands of solutions out there. And that, and yet, and some of them are global and some of them are in the U.S. Um, and they're still, you know, they're still working hard to, to get traction. What are some of your favorite um, companies, organizations, entities in sort of that ed tech and, and knowledge space that people should know about? And by the way, I don't want to sound like I'm a, a pessimist. I'm actually the opposite. Yeah. I'm, I'm an optimist. Um, I just think that we have to be real that um, there are many different issues that need to be addressed and people need to acknowledge. Positive news, is, as you said, is there are a number of solutions that are coming on the scene. And I think one of the, the great opportunities is how technology can effectively democratize opportunity. And that is a, a big deal. I think we saw this have, starting to happen 25 years ago, but with now 4 billion people on the Internet, you know, over uh, 2.5 billion smartphones, uh, basically, you can go from an idea to reaching everybody at breathtaking speeds. And so you're seeing these rapidly scaling mass solution opportunities um, hit, hit the scene, what I call weapons of mass instruction. And, you know, so companies that uh, fit that bill, and I think are offering this, um, you know, uh, solutions to this, 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 this problem, include companies like Coursera, which is creating the world's learning platform has 46 million students on its um, that are taking courses from Coursera from 200 of the best universities in the world, the best professors. And by the way, of that 46 million, almost all of those people are taking classes for free. Um, you know, there's different ways that Coursera's creating revenue from things like cert certification and working with businesses and for degrees. But most of the people are accessing this world-class knowledge from the process, you can take a class from Stanford or from University of Pennsylvania on your smartphone on the way to work <laughs> at no cost to you. That's a big deal. That's a game changer. Mm -hmm. So com companies like that are a big deal. I think companies like Course Hero, which is a peer-to-peer 
uh, resource sharing and uh, on-demand tutoring business. Again, a lot of friction from the process and creating tremendous amount of access. So those are a couple of examples. And, you know, so you bringing up the Coursera and Course Hero also made me think about sort of this big challenge we have, which is you've got, you know, two and a half billion smartphones and you've got this age of technology, and yet we're still giving sort of the, the K-8, 9, 12, four-year college, two-year community college. Like, why are those things even the case. Aren't there other ways to credential or scale um, what someone has done? For sure. And I think that just reimagining what the goal is. I think we get trapped in looking at, um, you know, ways that we could address a problem, addressing, you know, the kind of the old paradigm. I mean, when we're all said and done, what education is about is learning and providing type of knowledge, skills, um, so people can, um, you know, do things in life. And this kind of system that's been created that is, you know, I mean, it's not a new concept, but this factory system, you kind of go from station A to station B to station C, is kind of crazy. Um, the, the, the opportunity to really look at objectives and, um, and, and really competency um, and be able to acquire that, not just in this kind of linear way, but the way that really truly um, is focused on, on, on creating educated, knowledgeable you know, people. And that way, the way that people are going to do that is going to be in a lot of different ways. So this, you know, the old system of effectively a degree, I believe, you know, was going to be not replaced, but augmented by other ways that people are able to represent the knowledge that they have and how, how they're, um, you know, how they're credentialed for uh, future opportunity. I also think that, you know, our artificial intelligence scares people. I think it's going to have a major application for education mm-hmm. where people are going to be truly able to get the personalized learning. So where they have competencies, they're able to accelerate. Where they have deficiencies, they can go back. They can find the ways that they best learn. They can learn from other learners of the same you know, type of, of uh, characteristics. I mean, the artificial intelligence, I think, is going to be truly remarkable in terms of advancing how people learn. It obviously is going to also create challenges in terms of how artificial intelligence takes away jobs that exist today. But that's been, you know, technology has replaced jobs since the beginning of time. So I think we just need to kind of embrace it, say, you know, how does this help us um, move forward? You've been spending a lot of time, uh, well, you travel a lot across the globe, but you spent a lot of time in China. And you make me think about some of the Chinese leaders that are looking at artificial intelligence. I never thought I'd be praising them um, because I'm such a patriot here, Michael. But there are so many breakout uh, ideas coming from China that seem like maybe they're going to beat us to it all. Well, Jeannie, um, you are a patriot. Um, and <laughs> Again, I think we as a country um, need to kind of open up our eyes. I think everybody should go to China just to not replicate their system, but to understand how hungry they are for success and for advancing their society. You look at the people that they've brought out of poverty over the past 20 years, it's remarkable. And, you know, a big thing what they're able to do with their government is to really, really focus on priorities. So one of their priorities is education. I mean, China has gone from the, being the imitator to the innovator 
and has some of the most important education companies in the world. Their society embraces education like you can't imagine, and the work ethic is beyond comprehension. Artificial intelligence is another thing that their government has prioritized. And so the conversations and initiatives going on in China around this, um, broadly speaking, are gigantic. Sustainability is another area. But I'll also say, I mean, you know, so as you've mentioned, I've been to China a bunch, you know, 16 times in the past two and a half years, and I'm going to be there a couple times more this year. Um, And the reason is because there's so much happening there. It's not that we, I think we should, quote, replicate their system, but we better understand we're in a global marketplace, and they're going to clean our clocks if we don't uh, wake up, understand. And, again, the, the foundation of their success strategy is education. They're, they believe how they're going to win is being smarter than anybody else. That's the foundation of it. And guess what? They will if we don't do something about it. Well, it reminds me of uh, the company VIP Kid, uh, who I've seen a number of times at your various events, and their facial recognition software and the notion that they're actually studying how students respond to teachers based on teacher delivery, not necessarily so they can replace them, but they can make sure that teachers are delivering better and more effectively. It's like amazing. Yeah, I mean, VIP Kids was an idea five years ago. Uh, it's now uh, an education technology company with a billion dollars of revenue back to this weapons of mass instruction. And what Cindy Me, who's an extraordinary entrepreneur, has done, she hasn't basically created any of her own technology. I mean, she has, but I mean, what she's really done is looked and see around her what's available to to integrate into a solution that is compelling. So what she's doing is teaching Chinese kids English through remote technology, using primarily United States teachers, um, teaching from the United States and Canada and England. And so these Chinese kids are learning English from people that actually fit their native language. And it's been incredibly successful, grown really fast. But they're incorporating a bunch of technology that exists in the marketplace to create this kind of all-in-one solution and and done, um, obviously, extremely well. What about, uh, speaking of innovations, what about the new schools that just launched this year by our good friend and fellow CER board member, Chris Whittle? How, how How does that change what's happening across the landscape? Well, what um, Chris Whittle has done, and Chris as uh, strong an entrepreneur as as I've met, and certainly um, the charter school industry wouldn't exist without Chris's leadership and being a pioneer. Um, Now what he's doing is creating a global network of um, the highest caliber um, private K-12 schools um, around the world. And so what he's really taken into account is several things. One, nobody's really reimagined what a modern school would look like and what's that curriculum look like and what, a, you know, what are you doing in terms of activity and what kind of environment are you doing and what's the end result and what's the end goal. So he's been able to take you know, effectively his 30-plus years of experience in the education industry and taken a global perspective. Um, with some of the, the, the smartest minds around the globe 
And so now, this, uh, last week, opened up a school in Shenzhen, you know, that has uh, almost a thousand families that uh, have, uh, have enrolled there for the first year, and then in Washington D.C. And I think of, you know, I think what um, the impact of Whittle Schools is going to be well beyond Whittle Schools itself. I think it's going to be um, an example of how forward-looking school leaders are want to think about how to create an experience that really reflects you know, all the new realities, whether that's you know, the global world that we're in or the technology that is uh, ubiquitous and invisible in all of what we do, you know, thinking about what the end result of a lifelong learner, entrepreneurship. I mean, how you learn um, the best skill I think many people can have is how to be in business for yourself because things are changing so fast. What an entrepreneur does is solves problems and is, you know, is uh, you know, bringing out resources to, to, to thrive on their own. And, and again, I think Will Schools is going to be um, wildly successful in terms of not only what it does for itself, but for how it impacts the industry overall. And what about in the higher ed space? I'm just kind of thinking about, again, all the, all the different innovations out there that um, we have the luxury to look at, but uh, people with real jobs every day don't. Uh, ASU, your partner in the summit at Arizona State University. It seems like the way you describe Whittle School and Studios now for K-12 is, is kind of along the lines of what ASU did for higher ed. Uh, starting several years ago, tell 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 us about how you see that changing, or how how that's changed higher ed. Well, and that was I spent a couple of days at Arizona State University last week, and what people within the industry know is that Arizona State, you know, has become um, the the innovator in, in, in global higher ed. It's amazing for the last four years in a row, U.S. News and World Report is ranked. Arizona State, the most innovative university, you know, MIT and Stanford, number two and three. Um, and so what they've been able to do, and it's really, again, starts with the remarkable leadership of, of Michael Crow, is, you know, start with what's the objective of higher education. And what Arizona State views their objective to be is to reach as many people as they can reach on the planet to help educate them so they can be successful in life. And do it in a high quality, scalable, replica, you know, replica way. And so they've effectively looked at almost every aspect of their university. And again, Arizona University, Arizona State is already the largest public university in the United States. But you know, the, every aspect, whether what they do online, what kind of um, experience that they're creating um, for the, the students on campus. They're looking at how to create this kind of global footprint because that's the reality of what they're in. I mean, it's every aspect of their of the enterprise, and again, with the goal, how can they create high quality scale education? And um, it's it's amazing what they're what they're doing. What are the hurdles that the ASUs, the Whittle schools, and lots and lots more from small charter schools to large networks to, I don't know, all sorts of innovative programs, what are the hurdles they have to jump over in terms of not being that name brand? Like we are still very much this very young country who equates success and um, all that glitter with you know, well-known names. And so is it possible to be incredibly successful and go to a school that nobody ever heard of? I mean, I, you know, I, I hate to sound pedestrian, but there does seem to be this challenge 
Um, you know, and I think that's part of the challenge when charter schools are fighting. People are like, well, I, I, the regular public school was okay for me. What's wrong with that, right? How do, they, how do you break through so that people realize that they can access education not only in different kinds of institutions but across the globe? Well, it's a great question, and education is pretty unique. You know, where you're able to see newer companies kind of break through that that noise or that kind of historical um, precedence that that other uh, that you know other other industries you, know, you do with a better product. Here, what I think is going to be done, what's going to change the game, is is data and information. So you know, there's there's Institutions that have been around for a long time and say people say, well, they must be good because they've been here for a long time and people graduated from it and there's alumni and so forth. I mean, but the bottom line is, how do you uh, effectively show whether you're effective or not? You know, the, and, and, and it's frustrating to me to see, I mean, the Wall Street Journal, for example, had a poll of the top universities last week. And guess what? They had Harvard number one. And Harvard number one, I think, if I looked at the data and I tried to figure out how they came up with this poll <laughs> um, or how they came up with this ranking, because Harvard students 10 years from now make more money than students from other universities. Well, I mean, if this wasn't the, the dumbest and, and most uh, absurd, you know, and, 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 and harm, almost harmful uh, system the Wall Street Journal did, what Arizona State is doing for their students is incredible. Right. It's incredible. And so it's just like, you know, it's kind of this status quo and, and conventional thinking that's, that's actually killing killing us. It's killing society. Right. Because the, the, the reality is the number of people that actually get to go to Harvard is so few it doesn't even matter. And, you know, as a, as a country, as a, as a global society, we need to give people the kind of knowledge and education so they can have a productive, meaningful life. And it's, you know, so this whole concept of what we need to do has to change dramatically. You know, the next 10 years, the number of people going to college is expected to go from 220 million around the world to 440 million. It's doubling. You know, you're not going to double the size of campuses that exist. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to create twice as many universities. A lot of this is going to have to happen online. So how do we reimagine how this online experience help people get the knowledge and education they need to be successful? The cost of education, the higher education, uh. is crazy. You know, it's in, and you know, so again, how do you come up with new models and think about how to provide high-quality education at a low cost or no cost? And I think all that is coming. The good news is, again, I'm an optimist, and I'm an optimist not based on kind of just I believe good things will happen. Things are happening. You're having an incredible talent come to this industry uh, you know, in terms of entrepreneurs and ideas and so forth. And it's not just about money. In fact, I think people, the biggest mistake is, oh, we'll just solve it with money. Well, you know, money, you know there's been plenty of money that's been invested in education. It's not, you know, money's an ingredient, but that's not what's going to cause the, the answers. It's going to come from fresh thinking. It's come from leadership. It's going to come from, you know, again, I think data is really helpful. Because when it's just somebody's opinion, everybody has an opinion. They all say, well, this is how it worked for me. And that's all interesting, but that generally doesn't get you to the right place. So being able to look at actual hard information and say, what is the goal? How are we going to get there? Um, that's, that's, that's the path. And, again, I think we're going to get there, and there's a lot of reason to be encouraged. 
but people need to have an open mind, and they and, and we need fresh ideas. Well, and clearly you're right to be optimistic because look at the millions of people who are going through the Coursera's of the world, who are taking courses online, who are doing coding, right? Um, who are creating their own programs, um, who are accelerating their high school and taking college and jumping in, and it's out there and it's happening. But even uh, the great newspapers and media are still writing about the old 250-year-old institutions. And so that's really, you know, even as the media changes. Um, and maybe that's one of the reasons I know that you were, I think, a founding board member of Ozzy, which is a new media company. And I really love uh, Ozzy. And I want you to share with people what Ozzy is, because maybe that's a little bit that was at the heart of your involvement and GSV's involvement in Ozzy is this notion that we got to find new ways to get news out to people. Well, I mean, when you think about news, it's, it's just a form of education, if it's a short form of education. And on one end, it's just literally information, but it's having people informed and know what's going on. But you can think about it, you know, the, and that can go into depth. And I think uh, when you look at Ozzy, it's about what's new and what's next, but it's, again, founded by uh, a visionary entrepreneur, Carlos Watson, who actually started his career. Well, he, had an amazing, he has an amazing uh, story. But he was an education entrepreneur who sold his business to the Washington Post. He was a, in a CNN program live with Carlos Watson. He was a banker at Goldman Sachs. Now he's got Ozzy Media. But part of what he believes is how you take information, but you can go deeper. And so you can imagine reading articles that's really interesting about you know, what's going on in Iran. And boom, now you can take a course about Middle East history. Boom, you can take a class about um, understanding how you know, different cultures are uh, intertwined in terms of why people think the way they do. I mean, again, it's just all about how you can, you know, create a new way of saying this, this idea that they're separate. It's all, I think, basically, you know, the, the, the idea of how you learn is going to be invisible, and it's going to be ongoing. So people talk about lifelong learning. I, I talk about invisible learning. I talk about you're going to be learning all the time. And some of this is how it's going to be captured so you're able to represent what you know. But um, I do believe Ozzy represents this kind of news to knowledge continuum that I think is going to be part of the future landscape of how we have educated citizens. Well, and my listeners on Reality Check uh, have have learned firsthand in the last little while why Michael Moe truly is the preeminent authority on innovation uh, and the knowledge world. Uh, just even what you just said, the news to knowledge, but really that news is education. Education is ubiquitous. And Michael, you've really helped us think differently about it and forward thinking as you always do, um, which is why I'm so delighted that you've been my guest today. Thank you so much for joining me, Michael Moe, co-founder of GSV. And um, so happy that you are doing the work you're doing. Hey, Janie, thank you so much. You're too kind. Happy birthday in a couple weeks. <laughs> you too, Michael. Take care. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this edition of Reality Check. You can subscribe to Reality Check at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in and never miss an episode. Visit us online at edreform.com and follow CER on Twitter at edreform and me, Jeannie Allen. I look forward to exploring the world of education with you and another prominent guest next time. See you then.